welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. We just want to get into the third part of uh, the series I'm talking about um, to do with foundational belief in the Holy Spirit. I've been loving this um, series. I thank you so much for all the, the, the words of encouragement because I know it's been a help to so many of you guys. So um, over the last few weeks, we've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit and um, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're looking at the, pre, uh, the purpose sorry, of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit actually do? What is his purpose in our lives? And it's absolutely crucial. Charles Spurgeon said this, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. Without the Holy Spirit, we are useless. So pretty strong words. So we need to understand that it's, it's crucial to, to, to know and to have uh, intimate fellowship and relationship with the Holy Spirit. So this morning is pretty simple. I've just got sort of about five or six um, just concise purposes, I guess, or, or things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. I really am praying that it's a blessing to so many of you guys. Um, the first one is, the Holy Spirit inhabits me with His presence. What does the Holy Spirit do? What is His purpose? Number one, the Holy Spirit inhabits me with His presence. John 14, starting at verse 16 I will ask the Father, this is what Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. That word advocate, it's, it's paraclete in the, in the Greek. It means close friend, confident, counselor, comforter, encourager. It's such an amazing word. It, it really is a promise to us that we can be close to God. We can, we can enjoy such close relationship with the Holy Spirit, which, which is really quite challenging because even for us as Christians that have been alive for so much, what does the Holy Spirit really mean to us? Is He just like a doctrine that we believe in? We, uh, we're a Holy Spirit-honoring church, but is the Holy Spirit just a label to us? Oh, we, we, we're a Pentecostal church. He can be a label or a value, but is He really friend? Can each one of us really truly say, the Holy Spirit is my close friend? I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. I know I'm just covering a few things that I've said before, but this is just an incredible revelation. It was and is to us now that, that God is living within us. We've got God the Father. We know the, the prayer, our Father who is in heaven. God is, is watching over us. God the Father is above us. And then we've got Jesus, who's God the Son, and his, his name, one of His names is Emmanuel, literally means God with us. So God watching over us, God above us, God with us. And yet Jesus now is saying God is going to come and live within us. The Holy Spirit, God in us. Isn't that awesome? In the, in the Old Testament, um, with the Israelites, when they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt, they were on their way to the promised land. They constructed um, an amazing opulent tent called the tabernacle. Tabernacle is just the Hebrew word for dwelling place. Um, and this dwelling place they built 
to house the presence of God. And the presence of God was, uh, was basically symbolized uh, with and in the Ark of the Covenant. And they built this incredible dwelling place, this tent called the tabernacle where God resided, where the presence of God lived. And that was the Old Testament. Do you know that we are God's tabernacle now? Every single one of us now become tabernacles or dwelling places or temples of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit is now living in us. Now, back in the Old Testament, man, they honored the tabernacle. Do we honor God's tabernacle today? That's a challenge. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.20, for God brought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And one of my um, commitments I shared with you guys at the start of the year is I'm, I'm really trying to, to live a healthier life, spirit, soul, and body, really honoring the temple of the Holy Spirit. How are we doing with that? What are we putting inside of our bodies? How are we looking after this tent that houses the presence of God? I saw a funny cartoon online the other day. It had a, a couple of, um, you know, you go to the bank and there's like bank tellers and people are lined up uh, for the different tellers. And there was one tower and had a sign over it that said, um, prayer for healing and medication. There was a massive long line of people wanting prayer for healing and medication. And the other teller was living a healthy lifestyle. And there was like hardly anyone lining up there. Isn't that a challenge? How are we treating the temple of the Holy Spirit, guys? What are we drinking? What are we eating? How much caffeine are we digesting? Not thinking of anyone in particular. The Holy Spirit inhabits me with His presence. That's number one, the purpose. We get this incredible opportunity and privilege to be God carriers to this lost world. Isn't that incredible? Secondly, the Holy Spirit guides me in truth. John 14, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And I know I shared this quite a lot a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to paraphrase by saying this. Let's just get close to the guide. If the Holy Spirit is our guide, if He wants to guide us into all truth, let's get close, as close as we can to the guide. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is what Jesus is saying. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment to come, Jesus is talking to his followers, his believers, and he's saying that when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And, and his purpose, what he does, he's going to convict you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come. And sort of a lot of us don't like this word conviction. We, we sort of don't like it. But conviction is not the same as condemnation. What does this word conviction mean? It simply means to call to account. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, He's exposing sin in our lives so that we can actually take responsibility and take ownership for that sin and then go to Jesus for forgiveness. And he, and he convicts us because He wants us to be free. Sin slaves us. 
He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to live in freedom. He wants to release us from bondage. So He convicts us by His Holy Spirit so we can take responsibility for our sin and let's call it what it is, sin. And then we can go to Jesus. We can have our sins forgiven. That's conviction of sin. It is a good thing. Condemnation is not a good thing. Condemnation is like without hope. God doesn't give us condemnation. But he does convict us. And I remember as a, as a teenager, I gave my life to Jesus. Well, mum gave my life to Jesus sort of when I was four years old. I remember in the church, it's like, Simon, do you want to give your life to Jesus? What? Okay, let's go. And we got the front. Um, so I guess I was technically saved when I was four, but I never made the decision. But I remember as a teenager, um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon me. And I really didn't like going to church over that time because I knew that God wanted me to take responsibility even as a teenager. And it was a big deal back then. It wasn't like just raise your hand. You had to come to the front and everyone was looking at you. So I just didn't like going to church, but I'm so thankful that the conviction of the Holy Spirit stayed. And finally I did that. Took responsibility for my sin. Went to the only person that could forgive me of my sin, which was Jesus. And man, I miss that today. No, it happens sometimes, but not often. Do people come up to us and say, Simon, I need to take responsibility for my sin. I've been doing this and this and this, and I really don't want to do it anymore. I know I'm hurting God. I'm hurting others. I'm hurting myself, and I want to get forgiven. That's the stuff that starts revivals. It starts with me, and it starts with you. When was the last time you had that conversation with God? Conviction of the Holy Spirit is so good. So don't push Him away. You will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, which is right standing with God, the righteousness that Jesus gives us by being his kids. And then judgment to come. There is going to be a judgment day. It's not just out of the movie Terminator. Every single one of us, every single human being is going to stand before God and give account of his life or her life. Every single one of us. And when that happens, it's not going to, I guess, mean much how many church services you've been to or how much good, good deeds you've done. The one thing that's going to matter is if we've given our lives to Jesus. It's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He guides us into truth. He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come. I love, I've been reading through the story of David when he was convicted of his sin with Bathsheba and he said, God, against you, I have sinned. Um, when he took the census, Um, A little bit later on, it says in 2 Samuel 24, David's conscience began to bother him and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking the census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. Oh, that we could be like David. When we blow it, we actually take ownership and responsibility and we go to God to get forgiveness. First purpose of the Holy Spirit, he inhabits us or inhabits me with his presence. When I mean me, it means all of us as believers. Number two, the Holy Spirit guides me in truth. Number three, the Holy Spirit enables me to walk with God. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When it says flesh there, it's not our physical bodies. It's, it's our sin nature that part of us that just really wants to rebel against God, that the part of us that is tempted to do sin, that, that part of us that wants to do dodgy stuff. You guys understand that. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in us, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I did warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's, it's a pretty heavy list there. So we will sort of understand orgies are wrong, right? But have we actually ever thought that things like division is actually in the same sentence? Now, causing strife with other people, causing factions, causing divisions. You know what? That happens a lot. Maybe orgies don't happen in church much, I hope. But divisions do. Yeah, we sort of laugh. I, don't, I guess that's a little bit funny. But divisions aren't funny. I know churches split because of divisions. Even our church, we've had our journey over the last few years. God's not happy with divisions. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, which means stay close to the Spirit. When he's, where He's walking, you walk with Him. You walk alongside Him. Learning to walk with or in the Holy Spirit. It's something that we learn. You know, babies are born with legs, but you've never seen a baby walk out of the womb <laughs> or walk out of hospital. <laughs> Just having a mental picture of what that would look like. But they are born with legs. They're born with the, I don't know, they've got the legs. Legs are made for walking, but they don't walk straight away. They've got to learn to walk. They start crawling first. And then hopefully the other human beings around them are leading by example. And they're walking around and these babies seem to realize somewhere on the line, hey, I want to do the same thing. So they start walking. Walking is learned. Even though you get given legs when you're born or before you're born, you learn to walk. We get given the Holy Spirit when we are born again, but we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. And hopefully other people around us uh, that are more mature in us, uh, than us, uh, we learn from their example and we learn to walk with or in the Holy Spirit. It's something that we choose to do. It's something that we learn to do. It wouldn't be a sad thing if, if human beings in the world, you know, even with legs, we're just all crawling around. Just imagine if all of us came into church this morning and we're just crawling around. That would be the funniest thing. It'd make a good skit, actually. And I know it's funny, but maybe that's more a reality sometimes than we realize that we have been given this incredible opportunity to walk with the Holy Spirit, and yet we're still crawling. You learn it. You walk with him. He inhabits me with his presence. He guides me in truth. He enables me to walk with God. Number four, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live a supernatural life. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit came upon the believers that had already given their lives to Jesus. But the Holy Spirit came upon them and, and basically covered them, saturated them, filled them with power and enabled them to do incredible supernatural things. Why? Not so that they can just have good feels, so that they could go and change their world, so that they could be Jesus' hands and his feet. And I, I know there's some confusion about this, but when we get our, give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. He comes to, to indwell us. But there is another thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's where we get so hungry and passionate for God because we understand we need His power in our lives. And the Holy Spirit comes, and then He empowers us for victorious Christian living, to be His hands and His feet, to do incredible things in His name. And it, is, it really is supernatural. Um, I just sort of realized something for the first time. When you're reading the, the, the book of Acts, once the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, this word boldness comes up time and time again to describe the disciples. In Acts 4, when it says um, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. This is Peter who was like a coward. He kept on putting his foot in his mouth. You don't read that the disciples were bold while they were hanging out with Jesus. You only start reading that the disciples were bold after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we need boldness in our lives, guys. Now, we're living in a time, and it's starting to happen in New Zealand, that we are going to be persecuted just for simply disagreeing with people. Even by just saying, no, I disagree, you're going to get persecuted now. We need a fresh wave of boldness. We need to be bold. Now we're living in a time where, you know, just a, a click on your, on your computer or, you know, a thumb click on your, on your screen, you can look at some pretty dodgy things. We need supernatural power so that we can resist temptation, so that we can live victorious lives. We need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. We really do. Why, don't, why aren't we more hungry for that? Maybe a reason is because we know that God gives us gifts so that we can be gifts to others. And maybe we're a little bit selfish and we don't want to be a gift to others. We don't want to be stretched. So we don't want these gifts that God has for us. That's a sad, sad reason if that's the reason. I love 1 Corinthians 12, 4. And I'm not going to go into it much because we haven't got a lot of time. But it talks about these incredible supernatural gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's sort of like the launch pad to then be able to, to operate in these supernatural gifts. And they are so awesome to be able to lay your hands upon people and see them healed in the name of Jesus. To be able to work miracles in the name of Jesus. To be able to, uh, God gives you uh, some special information about someone that you shouldn't know, but you, you use that to en encourage someone in their walk and they know that God has spoken to them. These things are supernatural to be able to prophesy, which means to be able to release a little bit of the truth of God's heart over someone's life. And they get so changed. To be able to speak in an unlearned language so that you can build yourself up, so that you can be strong to live a victorious Christian life. You know, these things are a real life superhero powers. You know, we can be real life X-Men. We can be real life Avengers. 
We pay a lot of money, and it is a lot of money to go to the pictures now to watch these movies. And yet God has given us the opportunity to actually be those people. Again, why aren't we hungering and passionately pursuing that? Because it's available to us. I'll be speaking about that in another sermon, the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's keep hungry. Let's stay hungry. He inhabits me with his presence. He guides me in truth. He enables me to walk with God. He empowers me to live a supernatural life. Last one. The Holy Spirit helps me become more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps me to become more like Jesus. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Well, basically, there is no limit to, to, to these things. Uh, how much joy we can have in our lives, how much love, how much peace, patience, kindness, etc. The Holy Spirit helps me to become more like Jesus. You know, you become like those you hang out with the most, and I know I've said this a lot over the years, but it's actually really true. The people that you hang out with, you just can't help but become like them. And over time, you, you, know, you start talking like them, you start thinking like them, their influence rubs off on you. You, you, know, you start even you know, laughing at the same things. You're liking the, it's just, it just happens. It's an unwritten law, but it's an absolute unrefutable law. It happens. You become like those you hang out with the most. And these character qualities, they're not gifts. They're called fruit. And they're attained by us simply spending time with the Holy Spirit. Now, gifts, on the other hand, you don't have to spend any time with someone to really receive a gift. You don't actually have to have any relationship at all to receive a gift. You can give a gift to anyone and there is no relationship there. But to actually take on the, the character qualities and know that person, the gift giver, you need to spend time with them. Now, I guess this is a little bit of a and I understand why there is some criticism against Pentecostal churches because we are so good at spotting someone who's really good at operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we put them up on pedestals and, and, and we flock to their meetings. And I'm not saying those things are, I guess they're a little bit wrong, but maybe if our motivation's right, it's, it's good if we're hungry for God. But we then think that those people are so close to God, when we got to understand those things are simply gifts. You can receive a gift from someone and not have any relationship with that person. I remember, that was so awesome, the Millennium Falcon that you guys gave us um, for our sabbatical. And that's, I was looking at it this morning again, every day I just <laughs> gaze at its beauty. Uh, <laughs> And I enjoy that gift. I love it all the time, daily. Um, but I don't even know. Some of you guys may have contributed to that financially, and I don't have much relationship with you. I, I don't even know you. And, and we've got to be so careful that that doesn't become our relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
As Pentecostal Christians, we're filled, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. We've learned to operate in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, and we honor them, but we don't have any relationship with the gift giver. Let's enjoy everything that the Holy Spirit gives us, but let's still have such a close relationship with the person, Holy Spirit, who gives us these gifts. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Three questions I want to leave with, with us. And I really want to challenge you with because I've been really challenged myself by. And remember, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and His purpose coming to indwell us and empower us. Who are you governed by? Who are you intimate with? And who are you surrendered to? Who are you governed by? Who are you intimate with? And who are you surrendered to? The first one, who are you governed by? Romans 8 verse 5 and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Remember, it's not our physical bodies. It's the part in our lives that wants to sin, our sin nature. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace, who are you governed by? Who is governing you, your sin nature or the Holy Spirit living within you? Now, we, we are blessed to live in New Zealand. Maybe people that are watching online, they're not, but hopefully you can follow along with this, this illustration. We live in New Zealand and uh, we vote people um, into parliament and we give them the permission and the authority to, to lead this country, to govern us. Right? So on paper, we are governed by parliamentarians that we vote into power. On paper, we are all, as New Zealand citizens, governed by them. But um, you only need to have a quick look on Facebook to know that there are so many New Zealanders and they really don't rate um, our governors really much at all. They're in rebellion to them. They, they, they share a lot of things against them. They, they don't um, agree. They don't... Um, obey the laws of New Zealand. So on paper, we're governed by the New Zealand government, but to so many people, their hearts are, are far away. No way do they want to be governed by the New Zealand government. Now, we can have given our lives to Jesus many years ago, and on paper, we say that we are governed by God, but really in our heart of hearts, are we truly governed by God? Have, have we given Him the permission to lead and guide and govern our lives. Who is governing your life? Who are you governed by? We've got the uh, opportunity to be governed by the Holy Spirit. The second point, who are you intimate with? Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. It's sort of talking about the same thing. And the desires of the Spirit against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Now, just imagine that your life is like a house and there are two other people living in that house. There's like a flatmate that you just can't get rid of. 
and you were once pretty close with that flatmate, but you just, you don't like them at all. And, you know, you can pretty much live in the same place and, and avoid them as much as you can, but they are there and you can't really kick them out. And then there is your spouse. And hopefully you're intimate with your spouse, but there are two people living in your house with you. There's your old flatmate and there is your spouse. Hopefully we're intimate with our spouse. Now that's a sort of like a, a bit of an illustration of our lives. Now we have our sin nature and it's there. And although we crucify it, we're no longer enslaved to our sin nature. It's like that, that flatmate that you just can't get rid of. It's always gonna be there with you. And then there is the Holy Spirit that we can enjoy close relationship with. Who do we choose to be intimate with in our lives? Even as believers, you know as well as I do, we can still be intimate with our sin nature. But we've got this incredible gift and opportunity to become intimate and stay intimate with the Holy Spirit. Who are you governed by? Who are you intimate with? Wouldn't it be such a tragedy if even as believers, those two roles switch around and even though the Holy Spirit's living in your heart, you, you just don't want to hang out with them, you hardly ever see them and you're more intimate with your sin nature. And thirdly, who are you surrendered to? Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not have every Christian. I know it's pretty heavy duty, but it's true. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not have every Christian. We get the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but the Holy Spirit gets us at surrender. Who are you governed by? Who are you living for? Who are you surrendered to? If the answer is the Holy Spirit, that is, that is the beginnings of revival. A revival, and I, was, I sort of prayed about this at the pre-service prayer meeting. You know, you can't revive something that's never been alive. So revival, that word, is, is very much for the church. And once we were on fire, once we were alive, but then we've just turned away, we've gotten cold, we've gotten compromising. So to be revived is when we come back to our first love and we once again give our whole lives to God. We willfully become, willingly become governed by Him. We become intimate with Him again and we truly surrender our lives to Him. That is the recipe for revival. And man, you know as well as I do, we so much need revival. But revival starts in here with me and my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now He's living in me. He's living in you. I need to be governed by Him. I need to be led by Him. I need to be intimate with Him. I need to be surrendered to Him. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.